Welcome to Emerging Franchise Brands, the podcast that introduces you to the visionary founders of America's fastest growing franchise opportunities. We'll also hear from industry pros as they share insights on what it really takes to achieve the elusive milestone of 100 plus locations. I am your host, Frank Fumi, founder of i9 Sports, and my 20-year journey from inception to acquisition has given me a unique perspective on how to succeed in franchising. Join me as we welcome today's guest. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. On today's episode, I have a guest with a very unique concept. I am super excited to introduce Chuck Bongiovanni from Majestic Residences. Chuck, how are you? I'm doing awesome, Frank. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, Chuck, um, we've had a lot of guests on the show in the past few months, and but you have one of the most unique concepts that I am super excited to, uh, to have you on and share with the audience. So let's get right to it. What is Majestic Residences? Good question. Hopefully I can answer it. <laughs> you know, we are a residential care home franchise. So basically we are like the big assisted living places, but we are shrunk the whole model down into our actual residential neighborhood. We can have six to 16 residents in our home, depending on the state. So my guess is also you probably, every listener you have probably has one within a couple of miles from them and they wouldn't even know it. If it was next door, they wouldn't know it. Basically, if I understand this right, your franchise is kind of a, a dual play here. It's a real estate play because mm-hmm. you're actually buying a primary home. You're buying a, you know, a residential home and you're also running an assisted living right out of the home. Absolutely. It's a, uh, you know, a, uh, Two ways to make um, profitability while doing something that's really great for uh, for seniors. So let's step back, though. I, I want to share with the audience that this is not your first rodeo in the senior space. So why don't you share what what is your background? Yeah, I'm a uh, clinically um, trained social worker, believe it or not. And uh, right out of college, I noticed that there were a lot of people because I, I was working for home health as a home health social worker. And I saw that there were a lot of people that needed assisted living, but had no idea where they were located. So I started a company called Care Patrol, which helped families find assisted living, much like a real estate agent. Rather than helping them find a home to buy, they were finding assisted living home. Franchised that and uh, grew that into the largest senior placement franchise in the nation. Bought by, uh, we're acquired by the Riverside Company in 2018. And my wife actually... Uh, she's the brand president and has run it ever since. What made you even think of this whole idea of majestic residences? You know, I wanted to franchise residential care homes before um, I thought about franchising Care Patrol, just because there's 30,000 of them across the nation and people don't know where they are, you know, and they're very unorganized um, as a as a industry a lot of what we call mom and pop places, you know, where uh, a husband and wife maybe runs just one home. And it was primed to to franchise just because of all those uncertainties in the industry. And so we decided to franchise it. We want to be the largest of the smalls, shall we say. <laughs> are you the first residential care home franchise? No, there are a couple of them. Um, there's a couple of them around with a different kind of models, but um, we're definitely... Uh, the most advanced technological mm-hmm. and uh, 
you know, ready to get out there. Awesome. Well, why don't you share what's unique about Majestic Residences? Well, in general, um, residential care homes are pretty much still paper and pencil kind of organizations, but we bring in software, uh, one-of-a-kind technology. Let me give you an example. We have this technology that uses radio waves to determine whether an adult brief is wet or not. So then it will alert the caregiver. It'll document what time, how long it took them to change the brief. Just a lot of technology that um, is not used uh, anywhere in any other residential care homes. Chuck, as a potential franchisee, I see so much possibility here. So if you would walk me through the model itself, I would be purchasing a residential home. How large? Okay, so you'll be buying a... um, single story ranch style home. Like I said, depending on their state, you can have six to 16 people in it. So let's just say, let's say we're, we're shooting for 10 beds. I would uh, recommend that you purchase a five bedroom um, ranch style home with an attached garage. Uh, we can probably get two to three more bedrooms in the garage. The master bedroom is usually always a semi-private. So before you know it, we have nine to 10 residents in that home and with eight bedrooms and still plenty of room for activities where it doesn't feel cluttered. So so now you have the real estate, which would hopefully continue to uh, appraise higher through the years, but also the business because our residents, they, you know, they're charged between $5,000 and $7,000 per month per resident. And then we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're in charge of taking care of them 24-7 because they live in our home. It's not like a franchise where we send caregivers to their home. Mm-hmm. And are the residences that are paying that 5 to 7K, is that private pay or does Medicare cover? It's pretty much all private pay or long-term care insurance. Uh, Medicare does not pay for it uh, as of yet. What kind of staffing would I need as the franchisee? Yeah, well, every home needs a licensed manager. Uh, per state reg, manager slash administrator. Um, that is your most important hire because that's the person who's going to run that business pretty much for you during you know during during the day um, on operations. On a ten bed home, we're looking at two caregivers during the day, two in the evening, and one overnight. So five shifts of caregivers twenty four seven for a ten bed home. I'm sure everybody everybody that's listening to this is thinking. How could I possibly do this in my community? I'm sure there's an HOA out there that's going to say, no, this is not allowed. Good question. HOAs can't stop you. The only thing an HOA can do is mandate that you keep the garage door on um, just for aesthetics. Um, we have a, a real, this is, I'm being sarcastic. It's a small little law called the Federal Fair Housing Act, okay. which makes it very difficult for an HOA to stop. Uh, any home from opening up. What about the services that are provided to the um, to the guests? Our residents? To the, yeah. Sure, yeah, the residences. Um, you know, activities during the day. Um, we help them with all uh, activities of daily living, you know, showering, dressing, those kinds of things, medication management. If they have any kind of medical need, let's say they come from a, they, they had a fall in their home, broke their hip, um, and they went to a hospital, then they come to us afterwards. Uh, any kind of medical services are uh, is performed and paid by a Medicare uh, certified home health agency. So our franchisees and their caregivers are doing no medical uh, care. It's all non-medical care. 
mm-hmm. uh, but they can get those services too from a Medicare certified home health agency. What about um, the typical resident um, profile? So I would imagine there are some yeah. residents that work in this model and, and others that don't. Yeah. Typically you're 84 year old women. Cause you know, the women kill us guys early, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, 84 year old woman, usually maybe some slight uh, memory issues, usually needing a, uh, a walker or a cane or a wheelchair. Um, these are the kind of uh, residents that maybe would have, would have gone to a, a big assisted living place earlier if they were a little bit more active, you know, these aren't, uh, you're not going to have eight, eight uh, residents in your home. That's going to all get in Millie's car and drive to Walmart. Um, mm-hmm. They're not that active. They're, they're they need our help with um, several of uh, these activities of daily living. And I, I assume that each one of the bedrooms or bathrooms are all ADA compliant. Is that. Um... There, it's not regulatory that they have to be. Uh, but sure, our homes uh, definitely are. So if this is, let's let's go back to the the homes themselves. Let's say a five-bedroom house. So walk me through again how the rooms, how the bedrooms are set up, because I would imagine that the bedrooms in a five-bedroom house are they're not very big. You're fitting in two guests per bedroom? No, no. Like I mentioned, we um, recommend uh, building more bedrooms in the garage. Okay, that's right. So you'll, you know, you have to, of course, put in air conditioning and all those kinds of things to make it livable. And then we take one of the bathrooms, not the master bedroom, but one of the bathrooms in the home and we keep the commode. We take away all cabinets, uh, put a freestanding sink, take out the bathtub and make one large walk-in shower. And that's where the staff will uh, will shower all the residents. And now you've been franchising this concept only since 2020? Yeah, I built 2020. Um, and around what time... Uh- what time back in 2020 was that there, Chuck? Right in the middle of COVID, you know, uh, it was like, what's the hardest thing I could possibly do uh, after leaving my other company? And I thought, wow, I'm starting a residential care home franchise in the middle of COVID. It was a, a real smart idea, Chuck. <laughs> Actually, you know, I, I look for opportunity where everyone else sees danger. Um, that's the best way to kind of look at it. Um, I knew that the seniors who needed this kind of care they're just not going to stop just because we have a pandemic. You know what I mean? So while everyone else is waiting around, not doing anything, you know, we started the franchise and if, I think we've grown at a pretty good pace considering being in the middle of COVID and, and being in a situation where very high interest rates, I think we've done very well um, from that. And we'll come out on the other side, even stronger. You've, you franchised in 2020, you got 18 open, you're in the mid thirties, including in development. So even despite starting through in COVID and despite interest rates being higher, yeah, you're still continuing to grow. Tell me about how the interest rates, uh, obviously are elevated from where they were three years ago, how that has impacted though, your, your franchise development. I think uh, how the only time it's really hindered us was just, you know, franchisees getting very excited to get to the very end and then find out from the bank that deals have changed at the last second due to uh, interest rates going up a half a point or something. We have never had a problem with um, not having interested people wanting to franchise this. It's It's been more of a funding issue uh, than anything else. Banks are, I'm noticing banks now want a little bit more experience, even uh, folks getting SBAs. It wasn't like that a couple of years ago, but I'm seeing that they're asking for a lot more experience 
uh, than they used to. Being that you've been a franchisor before, again, not your first rodeo, tell me about how you think Majestic Residences now can scale more quickly. Like, what do you think it's going to take? Yeah, well, we're actually in the middle of uh, an SEC filing to create a Reg A fund, uh, which is a fund where we can start collecting uh, uh, money from investors. Um, we're looking at a um, complete fund, uh, a raise of 40, 45 million. Uh, 23 million will go towards purchasing residential homes and leasing them to our franchisees, much like the way you know McDonald's runs. So we're looking forward to to starting that hopefully by the second quarter of uh, 24. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, that should, you know, we basically take the bank out of the picture and take the 23 million. We can probably get close to 80, 90 homes uh, once we leverage uh, all those. Sure. Not to mention as a, fra- as a potential franchisee, Chuck, I have now, you know, built in, I have more confidence knowing that I'm picking a location because I'm really just leasing the location. You've already done the hard work. Right. Right. Do you tell me about how you pick locations? Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Some people believe that you have to look at very high-end neighborhoods. People living in high-end neighborhoods have the money to keep mom at home with a caregiver. So what we look at is where are there other residential care homes? Because the market will dictate itself. If there's 30 care homes in a uh, six-mile radius and they're doing well, then you know that's an area for you. And we've never been afraid of competition. One zip code in Scottsdale, Arizona has the most uh, care homes in the world. And we have four homes there. They've been full for two years now. So I, I competition doesn't mean much to me. I actually want to run where competition is. Sure. Well, it's going through my head is, of course, you know, the baby boomer generation getting older. But on top of that, even from a competitive standpoint of a majestic residents, franchisee to franchisee, how close can we be? I would imagine really close from one home to the next because there's just an incredible number of seniors that are going to need this. Absolutely. We we look at each state's um, regulations. For example, in um, I mentioned Scottsdale again. In Scottsdale, you can't have another home within 1,200 feet of you. So we double that for our franchise system. Now, our franchisees can market anywhere they want to, but they we can't have another franchisee within two times the state reg from you, but you're right. We could easily uh, accommodate thousands of franchises uh, in this space. Yeah. I'm just thinking I, there could be another majestic residence down the block and it, it really isn't, yeah. it really isn't competition. There's just an endless number of possible residents. So what I'm thinking about is though, as the franchisee, Chuck, how do you help me find residents? How do I find them? Sure. Sure. Well, you know, Having my last company being the most successful in that area, I think we have a lot of uh, a lot of connections in the industry. I was the founding president of the uh, trade association, the National Trade Association for Placement Agents. So I know a lot of referral agents, and they do a really good job. That and also we we have a, a large grand opening for our franchisees, in which we invite uh, healthcare professionals, uh, physicians, uh, hospices, home health, home care, um, churches. We used, to have a, we used to have a very a very big um, grand opening for our franchisees to to start. Then we teach them how to market also on top of that. Okay. And what about the what's a trait of a franchisee? Someone who's caring, mm-hmm. but we want people who who've run businesses before, um, who can understand that although this is semi passive, they still need to take responsibility for everything that happens in the home. So we're looking for people that are, um, of course, well funded but also 
have that mentality of um, someone who's pretty open and outgoing. Mm -hmm. So when they walk into their home and they see their residence, the place lights up. So the, as the franchisee though, I, as I recall, you mentioned, I have this, is it a director? Is that the person at the title? Manager, manager, uh -huh. manager, administrator. Uh -huh. I would think though, that as a franchisee, I would want to own multiple residences because the, the manager director can handle more than one home. It's right. Usually by state regs, they can handle usually, uh, usually three. Okay. So now you've got one manager managing three of them. You're not paying him or her three times more. Right. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the possibility to scale on this is pretty important. We want our franchisees to have three, five, 10 homes. Sure. I, I'm not going to get into obviously profitability because of, you know, FDD concerns, yeah. but uh, do you guys do an item 19 by any chance? We don't do an item 19. We're still waiting. We're going to wait another year or so mm -hmm. for COVID. You know, we don't want anyone coming back and uh, making any kind of COVID claims. So we want to make sure our homes are uh, at least another year into it. They're full. Every, every home we've had for uh, more than four months is full right now. So uh, we're not having a problem filling them. Uh, tell me about your corporate team. How, how big is the team and what, what are some of the major roles that you have? Uh, we're still pretty small. We have four or five on the corporate team. Uh, we have a, uh, an attorney that we uh, that we use who's in-house with us and our director of compliance and sales. And Tony Zarelli is our director of operations. He's owned homes for about 30 years now. So we have a, a, a real big push on our team for experience, but yet innovation and young and new. Great. What about training? What does that look like? Sure. Our training, um, well, a lot of video training. Uh, prior to our actual training is three days uh, here in the Phoenix area and then two days uh, at your home uh, once you're ready to open it up. Mm -hmm. And then it's ongoing, of course, through throughout the time with us. What about the training for my manager that I'm hiring that I've never hired before? The good thing is, is, is managers are all, are all trained and licensed through the state. So there's courses that they have to take uh, in their state to be a licensed manager. So a lot of the training is done through the state itself or through companies that work contract with the state. What about the investment range for the franchise opportunity separate from the real estate? Separate from the real estate, uh, about $120,000 or so. Okay. Well, obviously every area is different, but is there yeah. a sweet spot of a price of home that you look for? Yeah, we've seen them anywhere from four hundred thousand to a million. So it it does range in between areas. What about uh, since the, again, this is not your first rodeo in franchising. What's been your biggest surprise so far in franchising? Good question. Never <laughs> been asked that one before. It's been fifteen years. My biggest surprise. You know what? I think the biggest surprise is that um, that area of time, that period of time between uh, the franchisee leaving training. And, you know, going mm -hmm. back to bad habits, thinking, I already know how to do this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, gosh, that's a tough question. Cause I think I've had a lot of very successful franchisees, sure. right? So I think the biggest surprise I guess would be when someone gets awarded a franchise, they come to training, they get all ready to go. Mm -hmm. And then for some reason, they just don't want to follow your system. Well, I you know. I, I, we've talked about this before on other episodes too. So it is what you've gone through though, is totally not unique because well, first off, we know that every franchisee goes through that honeymoon phase, right? They're super excited. Right. And yep. then you, they leave training 
they are still excited when they leave training. Like they're, they're on cloud nine and then all of a sudden it's like go time and yeah. they start heading into, we lovingly call the grind, right? Everybody yes. has to go through the grind. It's just on how long will they make their grind? Are they going to get right to it? Are they going to treat it like it's, you know, like, oh, it's done now that I own this franchise. And you and I both know the work has no. just begun as soon as we get a franchise. Yeah. And it's amazing once a franchisee says, okay, that's it. I'm following the system no matter what. Right. You know, if that's from day one or day 100, it's amazing to see how quickly they succeed after that. I've had, I had a franchisee, my last system would anything new, he would push and push and kick and fight. And this isn't going to work. It's never going to work. And he'd be very vocal about it. And then he'd try it a couple months later. And not only did it work, but he ended up making it, making things extremely successful, you know, but yet not going back and saying, well, you know what? I'm doing that now. I'm following the system now. So, right. And that, that's, that's a, that's a funny part of franchising, you know, it is. And one of the common threads I've noticed of whether somebody is successful or not is the support they get at home from their Mm -hmm. spouse or partner, because right. Because if a spouse or partner believes in it and they're in lockstep, they're going to get through the tough times. Whereas if you get a franchisee who convinces their spouse, Oh, we're doing this. And this, the spouse or partner really doesn't want to do it. Well, or, or you get sometimes people who think that just because they're awarded a franchise, everything just comes to them easily. Yeah. You know, realize they need to realize that, you know, that first year is it's hard work. Totally. Really any franchise system. I think franchising is actually just a, uh, a function of, of being able to stick with it, you yes, know? Yes. Uh, I've seen any, I know a number of franchisees and other franchise concepts and, you know, the ones that aren't successful are the ones that never dug in. Right. You know, and just dug in and did everything they were supposed to, whether they believed it or not, mm-hmm. just dug in and did it. And that's how you become successful in franchising. Yeah. Sometimes just grinding it out and just, I'm not giving up. You're going to be successful. Right. And I was going to say earlier on the flip side, it's when your spouse or partner doesn't believe in it. When something goes right. wrong, what do they say? I told you so. I told, told you this so. was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. But it would be in, in any business that you were going to go through the grind. It's not because of, you know, any one specific franchise. And obviously I'm preaching to the choir here, <laughs> having a franchise podcast. But what I do love about your concept as the others I've interviewed, it's the guardrails that you've given yeah. me, you've got a proven concept. And if I have bought into why you do what you do, and I really have, I really, I love your concept. I think it is fantastic for the, uh, obviously the, the double reasons um, of yeah. the residential, the real estate play and for the residential care home play as well, I think is fantastic. But I know that at the end of the day, it's gonna come down to my front line of having a mm-hmm. great manager having a great staff because that's going to make or break the business as it would in any franchise. Absolutely. You know, and people always talk about, you know, how staffing is an issue in, in businesses right now. And I agree it is, mm-hmm. but I also know that I fully believe that people leave people, they don't leave jobs. You know what I mean? So if you're running a good franchise and you're treating your employees, well, they're not going to go anywhere. You know, even if someone's offering a dollar more an hour down the street from you, Right. right. I, I, I really believe in having a good culture uh, in your franchise system, not only in the system itself, but all the way down to the franchisees and their employees. 
Right. I think the the secret sauce to your franchise at each franchisee level is the staffing is only what five people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's to make sure that you have a great culture. But because there's only five people that are in each location, you have to make sure that the machine is going to work well, that the, the, those folks have to work well together. So making sure they have the right personality, it comes down to culture more than anything else. I mean, hell, there's only five yeah. people working there. Yeah. And, and you're taking care of, you know, 10 people and you see them every day and every day you still have to, you know, help them you know, go through that day, you know, positively and, and, you know, make it a good meaning of life for them, especially those are that are, you know, near the end, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. That's gotta be, that's the toughest part of the business, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's move on to something uh, more positive. Let's talk about the vision. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about the vision of the business. So you shared with us that obviously raising money and being able to buy these homes and lease them back to the franchisees, Fantastic idea, but how big is big for, for Majestic? You know, we're thinking, um, you know, of course, the higher number, the better, but we're thinking uh, between two and 300 uh, franchisees would be a, a, a real good number for us in the next five years. And any particular state or are you looking nationwide where? Um... We're actually international right now. We have a home in, uh, in the Dominican Republic and we're talking to a number of people from different countries right now. And that just happened. It wasn't any part of our plan. Um, we just got hit with a number of people from different countries and uh, wanting to do this out there and maybe do a a, a master franchise in, in those other countries too. But in the States, you know, the typical States that are, that are getting, you know, have large senior populations, uh, Arizona, Texas, California, Florida, Georgia, uh, those States. But, you know, there isn't a state out there where people people aren't aging, you know, they, mm -hmm. we don't stop aging one day, you know? No, no, we don't. Tell me what advice you'd give to people who are considering joining Majestic Residences as a, as a franchise owner. Um, it's going to change your life. You know, many years ago when I was in college, I worked in a nursing home and the interactions you have with those residents, we're there helping them. But quite honestly, I think they're, they're, help, they're, they're, they're helping us actually. That's beautiful. Tell us a, maybe a fun fact that most people don't know about you. About me. <laughs> okay. My, my biggest hobby. I, I, I love, uh, I, I raise koi, a koi fish. Really? Nice, nice pond in my backyard. I really enjoy hanging out there and stuff. But uh, other than that, fast cars. Well, let's go back. To the, actually, it got me thinking <laughs> that the, the koi thing. I would imagine uh, too, with the majestic residences, that landscaping and making the grounds beautiful is yes. another unique aspect of of the home because you really got to make yeah, those surroundings beautiful. It has to be, yeah, really important because, like you mentioned before, does that's the first thing the families are seeing uh, what the home looks like. And a lot of them, and I don't blame them, a lot of them have the thought process of if the home is uh, not up to par, then the care is not up to par. Of course, so yeah, that's, that's very important. We have, one of our homes does have a koi pond, uh, but yeah, we we take a look a lot at that uh, that landscaping, both you know in the front curb appeal, but also in the back where, you know, they'll be walking in the backyard, maybe having some activities back there too. And the home itself um, has to be in real good shape. And, you know, cause someone in a wheelchair can really do damage to a wall and you have to recognize it and get it fixed pretty quickly. Right. But, and we're not talking about costing a whole lot of money to make a no. backyard look beautiful, but that that's no. a game changer for the resident. 
Absolutely. And you'd be surprised, you know, I think the longer the people that are in this business, you know, the more they see their home every single day, it becomes natural for them and they don't pick up the small little things that they should be picking up on, you know, especially as it comes to appearance and, you know, does the home look cluttered now that it's been open for four years? You know, so we, we, we maintain all those kinds of things also with our franchisees, remind them uh, what our values are and what the home should look like. Chuck, I don't know, as I'm, I'm thinking about all of this and it, it occurred to me, you know, we've had this explosion of Airbnb homes, of course, yeah. during COVID. I wonder if the whole residential care home era is next. I, you know, I think so. I'm getting a lot of calls from people that have B&B uh, homes and, and uh, yeah, and they're not they're not selling as much or they're not renting out as much. I've had a couple of them actually. I went to a couple of Airbnbs that would have been great care homes too. I bet. So yeah, that that that's kind of happening right now. You know, with with a lot of investors that have homes. What can I do with this home? You right. know, because um, it, it bridges the gap. Because yes. I, and I'm in the short term rental business and mine's doing well. However, I do know of a lot of others that are not doing as well as they had been. You know, people mm-hmm. are doing the revenge cruising now or going back to Europe. So it has swayed, the pendulum has swayed in the other direction. But turning your home into a residential care home, is that a great opportunity as opposed to just turning your home into a long-term rental? Oh, definitely, yeah. especially, you know, or or if a, a real estate investor out there wants to, you know, get the home ready, uh, purchase a home and then lease it to one of our franchisees. That's an option too for some real estate investors. Chuck, because you've been in this business so long, I, I'm kind of wondering about from your background, has there been a piece of memorable advice that you've ever received that's kind of influenced your decision in, in getting involved in the residential care space? Again, looking for opportunity, looking for um, an industry that is fragmented, that is uh not consistent. There's really no standards of care out there except for what the, each state does. So the best advice, I, I guess, would be to look for opportunity where other people don't see it. If someone was interested in learning more about the franchise opportunity, uh, how can they get more information? www.discovermajesticresidences.com. How about the process itself of being a franchisee? Generally, how long does it take? You know, uh, we're finding it's taking a couple of months uh, because of the financing and, and those kinds of things. But, you know, the usual, we'll start off with a 15, 20 minute conversation with me. I send you off with some homework. I have you go secret, secret shop some homes near you. That's always fun. <laughs> uh, and then the discussion we have after that is even funner. From there, you would uh, we'll talk about, you know, uh, financing, the you know, what it takes to run the home. You'll have a meeting with our director of ops to show you all the software and all the amenities that we have and such. FDD is usual uh, validation. And then we have some final interviews. But it, it, it's a process. It takes a couple of months because um, a lot of times people want to make sure that they're they have a home that they're looking at before they go and get a loan. So it, it's really up to the potential franchisee with time space you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Boy, uh, it is going to really shorten that time frame once you guys start buying up oh, the homes. Absolutely. Yeah. Much quicker. Yeah, for sure. Well, Chuck, this has been great. I, I always finish with, I call it the tip jar because the franchise community is so generous with information. So what piece of advice would you give to a entrepreneur that's aspiring to be a franchisor and in getting in, getting into the business. You know what? I'm going to tell a quick story about a sexy Buffalo. Do it. Uh, I've heard this before. Uh, you know, the Buffalo, 
is the only herd animal that when a thunderstorm comes, they put their head down and they run right towards it. Every other animal runs the other way or hides. The storm eventually uh, catches up to them, but it's usually a lot a lot worse in intensity than it was if they just would have ran into it. Now, to me, that just says, you know, don't waste your time uh, trying to go around hurdles. Just bust right through them. And no matter how many uh, no's you get, you're one, you're one step closer to a yes. You know, just don't don't give up. Life's a life's a game of attrition. That's really best way I can say it. Chuck, that is great advice. We're going to end it there. Thank you so much for being on today's show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Frank. It was fun. Thank you for tuning into the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. For additional insights, guest applications, and to stay connected, visit us at efbpodcast.com. The Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of Emerging Franchise Brands, its host Frank Fumey, or Emerging Franchise Group, LLC. Any discussed franchise or investment opportunity requires thorough investigation, obtaining proper disclosure documents, and expert consultation before making any investment decisions. The podcast and its host do not offer professional advice or endorsements, and they hold no responsibility for actions, representations, accuracy, or consequential damages related to the podcast content.